Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady here with the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio, Mr. Lou Weiss. And joining us is Dr. Chris Keel, noted economist who has a, actually has a sense of humor about the economy. We're <laughs> grateful to have him on the show because it's a relief when you're talking about the government, the economy. Chris, welcome back. Well, you're so welcome. And and the, the phrase that I use most often now is that the purpose of economic forecasting is to make astrology look more reliable. Um, my favorite definition of an economist is somebody who explains tomorrow why the predictions they made yesterday didn't come true. To me. So having now established my excuse for inaccurate forecasting we can move forward chris i'm waiting anxiously and maybe you know when it comes out i haven't seen it yet the first reading of the q3 gdp it has been predicted and remember and this is something that is kind of frustrating but it's just the nature of data whenever you get those gdp numbers you get three different releases You've got the initial release, which will be out shortly, and then you have the first set of revisions, and then you have a second set of revisions. We won't really know what the final interpretation of Q3 is until about the middle of Q4. <laughs> so <laughs> everyone is how useful. The estimate that was coming in from the Atlanta Fed, which is they do this thing called GDP Now, which they release almost on a daily basis. It was still something like three point three point five percent. So they were still predicting a pretty solid third quarter. We'll see what the ultimate um, decision is. What has transpired is the latter part of the third quarter was showing some downturn, and the first part of third quarter was healthier than the latter part. And you're beginning to get a little bit of trepidation about the oncoming recession and it's not guaranteed it's not like oh my we're hitting for a downturn but it's just there are six things now that are starting to worry people a little bit about a recession but bear in mind that we've been predicting that recession since the third quarter of 2022 so we've only missed it eight quarters in a row so hey picky picky Picky, picky. So are they still talking about a recession? They still are. And the three things that have kind of leaped to the surface, one is we've suddenly hit a lot of, of semi-unexpected roadblocks. And frankly, a lot of this is sort of self-inflicted damage. You know, the first thing we have is Suddenly, lots of union activity. Um, UAW is on strike. The health strike in the mid, in the healthcare section. You've got the airline pilots threatening to kind of do their version of the strike. They don't on strike. That's illegal. But they start slowing things down. And all of these kind of sit as unexpected developments. If the automotive sector stays on strike for another several weeks. I mean, it's already dragging about eight to $10 billion out of the economy every week. And that begins to add up. Um, the healthcare strike is gonna be doing the same thing. 
Then you put on top of that the government shutdown, and you want to look at our so-called leaders and say, uh, gentlemen and ladies, costing the economy 5 to $10 billion a week because you can't figure out how to maintain a budget is not particularly helpful. And you're really setting us up for some serious problems. When the government shuts down for any length of time, it really takes an oomph out of the economy because it, it just shuts down the consumer. The consumer has been keeping us out of recession, but strikes take the consumer back, and it's it's not a good thing. So that's that's been a big issue. The other thing that's worrying people when it comes to recession is that the banks have gotten considerably more nervous about the coming year. They have made their, their universal activity around loans has been diminishing. That's taking some of the emphasis out of the economy, too. So we're not guaranteed to hit recession, but we have some problems that are emerging. And like I said, a lot of this is self-inflicted wounds. And we kind of want to turn to some of the powers that be and say, hi, would you please knock this off before you take the entire economy into crisis? I got so much to say that it's politically <laughs> oriented, but I'm not <laughs> going to. We we did notice the steam coming out of your ears. I don't, um, you know, don't want yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I could tell. I could tell. You know, it's like it's we could see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i know yeah i get it yeah that one's a mess i guess the number that we're beginning to watch chris i know that there are 25 or 26 different indicators mm -hmm. you know, and, and the geese all have to flock together in order for a recession to occur but the unemployment which seems to be slowly ticking up how far do you think it has to tick up before it tips over yeah, and that's one of the things that keeps arguing against recession, because we're still looking at a very low unemployment rate. It's between 3.6, 3.8, even U6, which is a little bit more all-encompassing measure of unemployment, is under 8%. Um, so when we look at the unemployment data, it's still it's still not showing signs of deterioration. And we've talked about this before, particularly for manufacturing. Part of the reason that you haven't seen a lot of layoff activity in manufacturing has been that companies are not finding the workers that they need. They haven't been able to for the last several years. So they're very reluctant to fire people. Um, ordinarily, they might lay people off, but they spent so much time trying to find the people they have, they're not about to lose them. So they're reluctant to lay people off. And as a result, you have not seen much of a response when it comes to losing jobs. The other thing that's been keeping the employment rate relatively low is that you've got the retirement factor playing a bigger role in the job market than it ever has. And I've mentioned this before, but by the end of this decade, the entire boomer generation will have reached retirement, all 76 million of us. And we've tended to avoid because boomers aren't this for not having lives, so we just keep working. But at some point, you know, it's one thing to be in your 60s and 70s and continue to work. Get into your 80s, and all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I want to enjoy my golden week. 
So I might actually retire. And we don't have a ready replacement. So that's kind of keeping the unemployment rate more reasonable than it ordinarily would. The biggest concern, I think, on on the employment side is is still trying to find that skilled workforce, which is triggering a lot of investment in technology and robotics, and that, of course, is triggering companies to find more financing, which is getting harder because the banks have made those loans harder to get. Uh, the interest rates have gotten higher and banks are, are becoming more cautious. So there's nothing that's it's suggesting an imminent collapse, but it's just these little problems starting to pop up and, and things are getting a little bit more delicate. On the positive side, though, you're still seeing a lot of technology investment. Um, the latest purchasing managers index is almost to 50. It went up. It's closer to 49 now. So we're slightly more encouraging than we were a month ago. The uh, Armada Corporate Intelligence, your organization, puts out a report called ACES. Mm-hmm. And what I love to call the as-is report. Yeah, and I'll have you know, we changed the name just because of you. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we we never we never thought about it. And then one day I said, you do know that Tim refers to it as-is. And we're like, oh, God. So we've, we've redone the whole thing, which is now being referred to as the watch, because that's what it is. We're watching the future. Uh-huh. And sort of the new version of it starts to appear really in another week or so. And the other thing we've changed is that we now are tracking the supply chain. So it's not just manufacturing, it's supply chain. And so, you know, hopefully we don't look at the watch and have you say, well, now it looks like a Timex commercial or something. It's like, but we're going to call it the watch. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, that has been... Uh, incredibly accurate. Mm-hmm. What is it looking like 2024 is going to be according to the watch? It's pretty positive to be honest. I mean, we just recently kind of looked at the data. We're sitting at about 98% accuracy quarter to quarter. And we look at the industrial economy as a whole. We're still peaking with this because we're still seeing a lot of that growth around kind of the demand that was starting this year, we're expecting the decline to start showing up in first part of next year, but it doesn't last very long. It kind of goes down and then starts to come back up again about the middle of next year. And it will still stay, even with the decline, pretty far above the trend line. So we're going to be in in kind of a shouting distance of what has been normal for the last 20 years. One sector that's growing really fast and way above trend has been construction, and particularly around the manufacturing part. So that has been expanding way past the normal numbers. And this is despite the fact that there's been a decline in office building, there's been a decline in retail, there's been a decline in some of the residential stuff. But if it's related to supply chain and logistics, it's booming. And if you're looking even at the healthcare sector, it's kind of back in growth mode. So we're we're seeing a few areas that are 
a little bit in in balance. I mean, the one that we're most curious about right now is automotive. Automotive has been growing. Now, with the strike, there's a little bit of, of concern. But that depends on the consumer. Because the consumer is saying, well, if Ford and GM and Stellantis, which is Chrysler, Jeep, and Fiat, well, you know, they're on strike, but Toyota's not, Honda's not, Hyundai's not, Kia's not, BMW's not, Mercedes is not, Suzuki is not. Guess what? We can buy those cars. And you other people, it's like, well, if you want to, I'm going to buy somebody else's vehicle. Buck. Yeah, that will uh, unsettle some folks. Well, it does because you know we're we're dealing with the fact that the big three is only an American big three. The big three globally is Volkswagen, Toyota, and Honda, and Ford comes in number five when it comes to national international. So it's kind of like there's less leverage than the big three used to have. Clearly. So um, I'm just curious in urban office space, you know, we went mm -hmm. through the pandemic. I remember the 1990s, they had buildings they called see-throughs because they mm -hmm. had no tenants. You just, right. you could see through them. It's kind of like the apartments that Evergrande built in China. <laughs> exactly. What's yep, happening that's... with urban office space? Yeah, the urban office space obviously went through a big decline as people were learning how to do remote work. That has now faded a little. Uh, a lot of companies are trying to get back to a more traditional work environment. But even now, it's hybrids. You know, it's three days in the office, two days at home, or two days in the office, three days at home. So you're getting a little bit more expansion in that office sector also finding alternative uses for some of those buildings. But where you're seeing the biggest decline is in the urban areas. Population shifts have been really dramatic uh, in the last five to six, 10 years. You've seen a huge exodus out of the West Coast. You've seen an exodus to a degree out of the Northeast and people moving to sort of the Northern part of the Southeast, Kentucky, Tennessee, Northern Georgia, Northern Alabama and all up and down the Midwest corridor, partly transportation related. And people are, to a degree in businesses as well, moving to locations that have lower costs. So lower taxes, lower cost of living, lower wage demands. Um, so people pulling out of places like California and Oregon because it's just gotten expensive. And people can move to Arizona or Texas or Oklahoma and find less expensive locales. We tend to forget that we're a huge country and it means that you end up having parts of the country that suffer more than others. You have parts that grow while others don't. Just to put things in perspective, every single state corresponds to a country when it comes to GDP. You know, we're focused on with Russia and Ukraine. Well, think about this. Kansas has the same GDP as Ukraine. Indiana GDP is Russia. We're dealing with the invasion of Ukraine by Indiana. <laughs> and I noticed you didn't speak about Florida. Yes. Florida is gaining population too, but it's older people. 
and they just go and and you know they're not making anything they're just escaping but there are people i know and i've been hearing about that for political reasons are leaving florida mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i mean you're seeing an attraction in the florida area because it's relatively low costs the taxes are relatively low but you're starting to see different migration patterns and some of that has been due to the fact that other parts of the southeast are now attracting population you're seeing a lot of growth in south carolina you're seeing it in north carolina you're seeing it in alabama and mississippi and georgia because the prices are lower and so that's why you're getting a lot of that northern southeast expansion and some of it is even weather related. I mean, I've got friends who are like, well, the only problem with Florida is that it's too hot to play golf in the summer. So I'm going to move north where I can play golf even when it's July because anybody in their right mind in Florida stays inside during July. So, especially this, this year, they had a very hot summer. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. So let's talk about manufacturing, which is what we're really all about. Yes. <laughs> it's looking like they're creeping back upwards, coming mm-hmm. out of a very, maybe it was the soft landing recession. Um, I'm feeling optimistic about 2024, but only in the range of about a 1.2% GDP. Yeah, it's probably going to be somewhere in that one to two and a half percent range as far as overall GDP. But manufacturing has been doing relatively better simply because you still have that shift away from the traditional supply chain. People are still looking for alternatives to China. The most dramatic change has been Mexico. Mexico is now growing at about a 5.4 percent rate, twice as fast as we are. Manufacturing is now something like 80% of their export activity. Mexico has now replaced China as the chief source of imports into the U.S. We now import more from Mexico than we do from China. Inflation has begun to fall in Mexico. The employment rate is going up in Mexico. The peso is getting stronger. You've got a history-making election setting up for next year because no matter what happens, next year is going to have Mexico with its first female president. Um, There are two candidates. The one that is representing the current ruling party is Scheinbaum. Uh, She was the former mayor of Mexico City. She will be the first female president, the first Jewish president, kind of a technocrat, kind of uh, oriented towards business more than AMLO has been and has talked about getting along better with the U.S. Her opponent is Galvez from the PAN party, and she's going to be setting a new environment because her husband, or husband, her father, was an indigenous or is an indigenous Mexican, uh, part of a native to the area. So it's going to be an even faster expansion of this cooperation between the U.S. and Mexico, and that has lots of implications for manufacturing. So we're probably going to see some continued growth when it comes to reshoring, um, manufacturing, turning even more intensely towards technology and 
robotics to make up for the fact that they can't find the people that they need, so they're turning to machinery. The only problem with Mexico, there are two, in my opinion. One is it's too hot. And number Depends. two <laughs> and number two is it's the number one murder rate country in the world. Well, you've got to look at two things when it comes to Mexico. And one is that there are places in Mexico that have a high rate of, of crisis and you want to avoid them. But the manufacturing cities, just to give you an, an anecdotal thing, and this is characteristic of some of these towns, was in Querétaro a few years back for a conference. And there were people that were like, oh, gee, you know, what's the circumstance? And they're like, we're a manufacturing city. This is not where the tourists go. This is not where the drug dealers are. We're a manufacturing city. And people were like, well, you know, you guys, you know, staying up till all. No, we go to bed at 10 because we work for manufacturers and we have to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. They actually organized this trip where we took a train trip out to Kansas City Southern. And as we were passing some of the crossroads, there were security vehicles at every crossroad. So someone said, oh, is this to protect against drug gangs? And he said, actually, no. The reason we have security vehicles here is that you are riding in a restored Pullman car, which costs millions. The Mexican kids like rocks at the train. So we're asking if they would just please save the rock throwing for the freight train and do not throw rocks at the restored Pullman car. So we're not worried. We're not worried about drug people. We just don't want the 11 year old with the good old nailing the Pullman car. Um, so you've got very different environments in places like Satillo and Cadetano and San Luis Potosi, where other parts of the country, oh yeah, you know, you want to stay away from Tijuana. So <laughs> that's why they're all leaving Tijuana going into yes, San Diego. <laughs> exactly. Chris, how long before this influx of 15 million from other countries becomes productive in the U.S.? Well, you've got a really different circumstance as far as, as immigration is concerned. We've never had fewer Mexican migrants coming into the U.S. because the job market has improved remarkably in Mexico. The immigrants that came from Mexico were primarily job-oriented. They were coming to the U.S. to work, either temporarily and then go back to Mexico or setting up in the U.S. for a while. What we're getting now are immigrants that are better described as refugees. We have a million people from Venezuela come to the United States, most of them illegally. And they're here because they're fleeing the idiot that runs Venezuela. I mean, talking to one gentleman who was working illegally here, and I said, you know, where are you from, Venezuela? I said, so why are you here? He says, I'm working illegally because in Venezuela, I'm an accountant. I used to have my own business in Caracas until I made a disparaging remark about the idiot that runs that country. And I became part of a group that needed to get out of Venezuela. He said, didn't your country used to have a off people like that if you would kill that man i would go home the next day so we have about <laughs> four million people who were saying u.s i want to go home but the left-wing nut job that's running my country has destroyed it the unemployment rate in venezuela 
is 60%. So I'm somewhere else. I guess so. And then, of course, there's Pakistan, who's moving 1.7 million people out of their country by November 1st. Why? Same issue. You know, they've got major economic problems. They have major political problems. That government is nearly without a government because they just spend time attacking one another and making it almost entirely to govern, which sounds unfortunately a lot more familiar to us than it should be. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're you're looking at the current crop of of I quote leaders going, gee, could could, could you govern for just a minute or two? I mean, we've had the same issues now for 10 years, none of which are addressing. You know, we need infrastructure. We need training for a workforce that is woefully adequate to needs. I mean, the list of things that could be worked on is very long, and nobody in Congress seems to be interested in anything other but I don't know what they're interested in. I mean, you, you look for you know, what is exactly your policy. <laughs> policy? Who needs a policy? What's a policy? Yeah, really. I just so. heard Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, who's always very colorful in his remarks, yes. saying that people are now looking at people in Washington, D.C. and asking themselves, how did they make it out of a birth canal? <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody made the suggestion that our next step would be to get a phone book, assuming we can find one. And throwing a dart, and whoever it hits is the new senator. So Hiram <laughs> Finkelbottom, you are the new senator. You can't possibly do any worse than the current one. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Chris, it is a kind of a topsy-turvy government at the moment. And, you know, they're putting it off until next Tuesday when they have a cooling off period. And they'll have mm -hmm. And the Senate is suggesting that maybe they shouldn't go on the October recess. And, wow, you know, I no wonder manufacturers tear their hair out and say, we don't like uncertainty, but that's all we got. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there are so many issues that have been critical to the manufacturing sector that has been pointed out for years that if you really want to help the manufacturer, you would be working on three major areas. One would be preparing the infrastructure to be on we're seeing more reshoring. Number two, it's the labor force. It's like we need a focus on the pipeline. And this has been a problem for a long time. I mean, one of the things we ignore in education is that the vast majority, 25% or more, are kinetic learners. They learn with their hands. And we don't service that group very well. We don't have enough trade schools. We don't have enough community colleges. And then the third area that matters the most is recognizing that we are a major manufacturing nation, but what we make is expensive and it's geared towards exports. 20% of our GDP is export. And what we export is high level stuff. It's airplanes and road building equipment and mining equipment and I mean, 92% of the railroad engines made in the world are made in the United States. So we have a huge sector, but it, it needs focus on that export market. And we 
than to ignore it. And it's like, well, stop ignoring it because that's that's what drives. And I've mentioned this before. Almost a third of our population works in manufacturing. And you keep hearing in the press that we don't have that many people working in manufacturing. That's because the way we count people is by their job function. We don't care who you work for. So 92% of the people who work for Ford Motor Company are not in manufacturing, which is going to shock the employee who's been there for 40 years (laughs) because it'll be say, well, you're not in manufacturing. You're in HR. You're in design. You're in accounts receivable. You're in, you're not in manufacturing. The only person in manufacturing is the person working on the line. And the response is, you nitwit, we don't have anybody on the line. We do that with robots. <laughs> and the person who programmed the robot is a programmer, not in manufacturing. If you count who we work for rather than what we do, a third of us are in manufacturing. Thank you for saying that, because Lou and I are always pitching that, and everybody wants right, to do Right, well said, well said. Exactly. Well, Chris, just to remind our viewers and listeners, uh, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe, like us, just punch all the links on YouTube and let us exactly. know. Exactly. Think like crazy. And remember, if you don't, we're going to devote the next episode exclusively to Taylor Swift. but i wanted to say that we also have manufacturing outlook was a free subscription and chris's write-up is always in there called the north america outlook we appreciate having that in there as well so chris thanks again for joining us you're welcome thanks have a great trip to las vegas there you go lost wages there you go yeah indeed (laughs) all right take take care buddies thanks That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please like and subscribe, share on social media, or leave a review. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Rumble, or your favorite podcast app. Visit us online at mfgtalkradio.com for our other episodes. We have also included links to our advertisers below. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.